Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's a little bit awkward, not awkward, strange for me to stand up and talk because I did it for, like I said, about 20 years, which I'll talk about real briefly, but I haven't done it for about five. I've been the guy behind the scenes, which is where I like it now. And there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but Matt Wolf, who is uh, not feeling well, just keep Matt in prison, just common cold, because he just wasn't feeling good and didn't want to get anybody else sick. Matt Wolf came up to me last week and he's just like, oh, we have a hole in our speakers, so um, you can do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I said, yeah, I suppose. So I have a question for us as we start out. Who are you? And I don't mean like to your wife, to your kids. How do you answer that question to yourself? Like when trouble, I have other words, but I always have to edit my words here. When bad things hit the fan, <laughs> when it's all stripped away, when you're by yourself, when the noise quiets down, how do you answer the question? Uh, it's it's interesting, I turned 40 like three weeks ago. I'm supposed to be in like midlife crisis range right now, right? So really midlife crisis is just a way of stepping back and asking that question with a new lens. Who actually am I? Like, where did the kid go? Where did the young man go? Where did my hopes go? This is what career path I'm on now. So I want to do uh, two things with you because I really think some of the some of the best blessings that come out of this group are the times that you get to talk together. Um, so my goal is to talk quick and then shut up so that you can talk. Because I write the emails, right? So if you read any of the emails, you might just look at the pictures, right? I also make those. So uh, you might just look at the pictures and be like, he has a friendly face. Maybe I'll come and see him. It's probably not you because you're here this morning. Uh, but. Um, if you actually read the emails, I write a lot about brotherhood and uh, legitimately probably one of the best blessings that you will get out of this group is the guy that's sitting next to you, not the guy standing in front. Okay. So if I, if I do my job properly, what you'll remember today is the conversation that you have around the table and not the conversation that the guy is having up here at this table. So that's one we'll work towards. Um, there are two things working against me. All right. One, um, I've been told that my story is interesting, and uh, I don't have I I don't have a problem sharing it because end of the day, and I was joking a little bit about this, and I mean this, and it's very freeing. End of the day, I don't really care what you think about me, <laughs> okay? Um, and and the reason for that is not because I don't care who you are; it's because I'm very aware of the person that I answer to, and his opinion of me is very different than everyone else's. And so I always like to step into a room and just be like, and at the end of this, if he's good with me, I'm good. You talking about Matt Anderson? Yeah, Pastor Matt Anderson, my executive director from Star Pope. Uh, <laughs> you know, so we were praying there a minute ago. I'm mostly concerned that I, that I honor him well. So I'm, I'm gonna focus on that, I'm gonna focus on him. The other thing that's working against me is, uh, I legit was a pastor for 20 years. 
Like I did this every week, multiple times a week. And I was Baptist, right? Uh, in terms of denomination, not necessarily in terms of uh, theology, especially as the years went on and the more that I learned. So Baptists can talk, don't know if you know that. So I could fill an hour. <laughs> so I'm gonna work against those two things, okay? So let me share a little bit about me. And then you're gonna notice the pastor like roots come out because I really, really like the Bible. As I said, I haven't done this and talked to people for about five years, like at this setting. I mean it more like the hermit level setting. I just haven't talked to people. Like my wife, out of proximity, and I like her, she's pretty, okay? <laughs> but when it comes to the religious community and like churches and, and even, they, they are slowly starting to drag me out. I just haven't. So this is like a first for me for a while. Y'all with me? Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So let me share a little bit about me. Um, I'm going to get to the crash course on my story here. Uh, Baptist pastors home, right? All good Baptists come from Baptists. That's the, that's the rule. They're inbred within that community. If you're Baptist here, I can say that. I come from you. All right. So I come from the stock. Um, my dad was... Uh, a very, very, very good people, person, man. We are polar opposites. My dad loved people. I, I, I even as a kid was just like, I don't get the point. Like I don't get the appeal. We'd go to the grocery store. My father would enter into a conversation with the cashier. And by the end of the conversation, the cashier would have shared their story, their hurt, their pain, and my father would have shared all of his while we were getting groceries. I remember standing there as a five, six-year-old, I'd be like, Dad, shut up. <laughs> right? Like, I love you deeply, truly, but she doesn't need to know about your kidney stones. <laughs> right? Life was, I, I would always put it this way, life was normal. You don't think about stuff when you're a kid. Mom and dad had a healthy marriage, no complaints. We moved like twice, because uh, even though we were stable, uh, my dad had kind of like, he'd dig into people, and he'd invest in people, and he'd open his heart to people, and guess what? Religion's not a safe place to do that not especially the church so he'd open his heart and then he'd have to go because he didn't open his heart to the wrong person uh, so we moved we went from Albany to Sherburn y'all y'all know this I grew up upstate New York so I know more about cows and chickens and people they're my breed all right I'm comfortable there all right and so we would uh, we moved from Albany to Sherburn to Cortland in Cortland my dad kind of found his niche, found his church. You were doing great. Can you give me some water? Okay. Thank you. Um, and I got real involved in school. Uh, life was starting to settle, you know, because you're in the awkward age where I was getting there. Um, they started to realize that I was a little bit different as a kid. When I say that, uh, and I mean like, I would only sleep roughly three hours a day. 
My parents are very concerned, mostly for their own sanity, because as I have four kids, if they don't sleep at least eight hours each at the same time, <laughs> today's not a great day, right? So there's concerns. Thank you. Huge. I was also, as a kid, I, I didn't really understand the idea of a filter, so I shared things with people. Like, did you know some of you have numbers? You'd be like, well, what are you talking about? And it was so evident to me. There are some people that have numbers. I can't explain it. I don't know why. But as you walk through, you either have a number, you don't have a number. And I'd be able to look at you and be like, Mom, you've got a number, and you've always had a number, and your number's always been 23. It's never changed, and it's always with you, and it's always right there, and I always see it. And every building, do you know the big buildings are sevens, Mom? And my mom, of course, was a teacher and very wise woman, and she would just be like, that's all, oh, that's so interesting, really? And then she would go back to my father and be like, we had him tested. <laughs> <laughs> And so between the age of nine and 11, I went to see a series of doctors and a bunch of different tests. I remember they hooked all these things up to my head. And I thought it was the best thing ever because when you're 11 and you don't care what people think and you kind of also think that you're probably a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle because that's where I was, man. I just assumed that I was special. Right, like I wa you watch all those movies and you're like, the, you you know that's how the origin story of the guy starts. He's not like the other kids. He's the weird kid. I was just like, bro, James Bond, on my way. Got involved in the arts. Got involved in um, acting. Got thrown into this group called the Foxfire Group, which meant I got to go and travel to different universities. And they would ask me questions, really not good for my ego. I remember this one trip, they threw us on the bus and it was me and a couple other kids from our county and some of them were in high school and they gave us a manual and it was a uh, aircraft manual for a B-52 bomber from World War II. And it was just a manual. And it was the schematics and it was all, all these different things. And they're like, read this, we're gonna ask you questions about it. And I'm like 10 with this, manual from the military and i'm just reading it through and what i'm really doing in this scenario is i'm looking around the bus at the other people and i'm just like i'm gonna kick that guy's butt i'm gonna know more than that girl over there they're gonna ask me all the questions and at the end they're gonna let me fly that plane <laughs> life was life was good it was normal it was so normal, in fact, that my dad, Baptist pastor, growing up in a small town, was just like, Matt, you're going to play baseball. I hate baseball. <laughs> so you're like, you're wearing a baseball cap. No, I'm wearing a cap. All right? Caps have been along long before baseball. Okay? This just happens to be a cap that baseball players also wear. Uh, my dad loved baseball, though. So I had to play baseball. And they made me the catcher. Now, that's a problem, because I did not like the ball being thrown at me. <laughs> My dad took me to this uh, baseball game. 
I got out of the car, run up to my team, and I didn't realize it, but my parents didn't come. My mom, passenger side, looked at my dad and said, we need to go to the hospital now. The entire left side of my body is paralyzed. She's like, I have no idea what happened. So they drive off. Of course, when you're uh, emotional and, you know, I, I didn't realize this back then, but adults are just kids trying to figure it out, right? And I'm, I'm sure, like, this is part of the other reason where I'm, where I'm like, I don't really have to be a fear. I don't have to be afraid of, of mankind because we all feel like little kids and we're looking up to somebody and it's like, maybe when I get to that age, I'll have it settled. Like, they look like they have it together. Just turned 40. And I, I, I'm more aware than ever that I'm basically that eight-year-old faking it as a 40-year-old. <laughs> I just assume that most of you are there faking it in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, and I'll just get there eventually. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so my dad drives off. He's freaking out. My mom drives off. She's usually the stable one. Game ends. My parents aren't there. I don't know where they are. But we're still small town, upstate New York. So my coach sits with me for a while, and then he's just like, Matt, I don't know where your parents are, but you're good to stay, right? Yeah, coach. It's 4 o'clock. Granted, by the time the game was over, by around, by around 11, because it was upstate New York, and it was a morning game. And I sit there, and I'm an active kid in my head. right? I don't really like the other children because their games don't make sense to me, and not all of them have numbers. It freaks me out. <laughs> right? Because then if you tell them they have numbers, they want to know why they have numbers and what their number means and what and, and some of them have smells, and I'm not talking about like normal smells, I mean like different smells because that's what they emanate based on their energy. You're being like, wait a minute, this guy's a little weird, maybe he's into crystals and essential oils. No. <laughs> All right, I grew up with this, can't fix it. This is how my head works. Okay. Uh, also not something I talk about too frequently. So if you want to come up after and be like, do I have a number? <laughs> I, I may hit you. I'm just, we're just fair, fair <laughs> all my life. So I, I try not to talk too much about this. Time rolls on. I'm in the, at the playground. It's 3 o'clock. It's 4 o'clock. My parents aren't around. I start to get worried, but there are no cell phones. I have no reason to worry. I've never had a reason to worry before. They've never just abandoned me before. Now, granted, I knew I was adopted. I figured it out when I was like five. Because uh, in the summer, I get real dark, right? Like real dark. And uh, my, my entire family are like fair-skinned, green-eyed, like blondish, brownish hair. Like they, and my sister also adopted different family. Same. They all looked exactly alike. And I, I was about in the middle of summer, and I was just walking with them one time, and I just looked down, and I, I, it just dawned on me like, I'm a different shade of crayon than the rest of them. And I remember saying to my mom, like, bro, you want to explain this? Because he's basically translucent and you're what? <laughs> my mom told me flat out the gate. She's like, listen, uh, we couldn't have children. So God, God chose you for our family. <clears throat> So at five, I remember walking around, and again, a public school kid, right? I remember walking around, and, and I got kicked off the bus for this because I had, a, I had a sense of pride in the fact that I was chosen. You, most of you, <laughs> most of you in this room 
Your parents didn't pick you. They got stuck with you. <laughs> My parents chose me. As you can imagine, that did not go over well in the public school system. Six o'clock. No one's there. It's starting to get dark. I'm still okay. I'm still okay, at least a little bit. I mean, I'm freaking out a little bit. It's been like seven hours. It's eight o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. And this car pulls in. I recognize the car. It's an Oldsmobile. There's only one man I knew that drove the loudest Oldsmobile. That's my grandpa. World War II vet, paratrooper, 101st Airborne. And he pulls up and I see the, the spotlights and I'm just sitting on the bench, right? And my grandfather, he's both the most terrifying man and my best friend at 11. And he gets out of the car and I feel, I swear, it's like a Cary Grant movie. Right, you'd be like, oh, you're too young to see that stuff, stop it. I grew up in upstate New York, we didn't have cable. All right, I grew up on the same stuff you grew up on because all I had was the library, right? We had three channels and like two of them were chickens. And he gets out and he just stands in front of the car and it's just a silhouette and he goes, Matthew. Let go, I get in the car. He didn't say a word to me. Which is okay because I was safe because I was with my grandpa. It's okay to just sit with your grandpa. So there's some people you don't have to talk to and you still feel safe. Uh, that goes away when you get older. Usually you become that person. And so I'm sitting in the car and we drive and, and we can't drive like a normal distance because we were in Cortland, but the best hospital, or at least the hospital they took her to, was in Binghamton. So we got like roughly an hour to get there and it's an hour of silence. If we're talking no radio, just sitting there, 11 years old, finished a baseball game, no clue what's going on and he just drives. And we pull up to the hospital, he looks over to me and he grabs my shoulder and he goes, you be a man, be strong, I'm here. No context. Get out, walk in. And as I walk into the hospital, uh, I, I start to recognize everyone that's there. It's all of my relatives, mm. right? My mom had a big family. My dad was an only ch child. Explains a lot. We're not getting into that, all right? Um, but it is all of my aunts, all of my uncles, all of my cousins, both sets of grandparents. Everyone's a hot mess. So my mom was kind of the glue that held the family together. Hot mess. And so I walk through what, what I can only describe as like a sea of despond. If any of you read, have, have ever read, uh, oh, it's, I'm totally drawing a blank on this. Pilgrim's Progress, okay? I walk through like a sea of just sadness and hurt and despair and lost, and I'm 11. Now granted, I'm processing this in, in my head the way that I can. And I, I get through and I look at these people and, and, and I see my sister and she's a mess, but she's a mess. She doesn't know why she's a mess because she's three years younger than me. So she's just a mess because everybody else is a mess. I walk in to the room and my dad comes walking out. He can't even look at me. My grandfather behind me the whole time, just hand on my shoulder. Probably the whole, whole reason I made it to the end of the hallway. 
I walk into the to the room, they open the curtain, and it's just me and my mom. My grandfather takes me, leaves me there, and walks out. My dad's outside, I can hear him wailing. You ever hear weep you know that that, that terminology weeping and wailing or the, the gnashing of teeth? Like I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but you know what that sounds like. Like you step back, if you've ever heard it, you'd be like, that's what that means. My mom looks at me and she goes, Matthew, I'm going to tell you, tell you something, and I need you to be strong. She's like, your father can't do this by himself. But I want you to promise me three things, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And so she said, I want you to promise me that you're going to take care of your dad and your sister. Yes, mom. But promise me that you never, that you always respect women. And then she, she had caveats to that that I won't get into because I was 11 and she was just like, like I want you to kiss anyway. I'm like, she had caveats. And I'm like, mom, gross. Like, yeah, well, it's no problem, right? But I did not realize at 11 what was going to happen to me and how I was going to regret making that promise to my mother and then get older and be very thankful about making that promise to my mother. And then the third one was, I don't want you to smoke or drink until you're 18. I think 21, she was cool. <laughs> Yes, mom. My mom had brain cancer. Doctors missed it. She had thyroid cancer about three years before. They diagnosed it. They treated her. They said, "Oh, you're fine." She went back. I don't feel fine. No, you're fine. She went back. Something, something's going on. No, 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 you're fine. We paid these medical bills. They missed seven brain tumors the size of silver dollars that grew in her head. And the doctor gave her 24 hours. That was the start of my summer at 11. I got to speed this up. That's my reminder to speed this up. So I'm going to do it real quick, all right? And maybe you'll have me back at some point, and I'll fill in the blanks. Uh, we got my mom for two more months that summer. And in that two months, uh, I realized that, that adults are weak. I realized that all of the Christians that were around me had platitudes, but they didn't actually have answers. Because they would come up and say things like, uh, God never gives you more than you can handle. How about I give you more than you can handle? I'm 11, I bet you I can do it. Or, his grace is sufficient for you, brother. And I got all of these terms, I got angry. Mostly God, because God was now the guy that I was supposed to look to, and they were telling me all these things that were just supposed to work, right? <clears throat> His grace is sufficient, or he, he'll be there, or he never gives you more than you can handle, or well, fill in the blank. You all know the Christian things to say when you're uncomfortable around people and suffering, mm -hmm. right? I'll pray for you. Mom died that summer. Uh, I became known as the kid with the dead mom. Right? How do you talk to that kid? I was already weird, bro. Right? Like, I was, it's because I looked up to my grandfather, so I looked like one of the newsies. Right? Like, I was a kid that showed up in the khakis with the suspenders and the, and the handicap. So it wasn't always a baseball cap. I used to wear the, the handicap because my grandfather wore the handicap, and I went to school that way. I was already the weird kid. Now I was the weird kid with the dead mom. Before that, I was the adopted kid who saw numbers and could smell kids. 
That was my identity. I, I hated school. Granted, I was not in the grade that my other classmates were in because I'd been tested and they put me in different classes and I got to travel a lot. So I wasn't really in the same class as everyone else. Um, got to go to high school and take senior level classes at that point, which was cool, but I was 11. So it was weird. And then I was also, it's a small town, because it's upstate New York, right? So I was the kid whose mom died who was 11 in high school. So I faked sick for a while. Tried to get out as much as I could. Uh, I did not realize it, but this was, ha this was having an effect on my dad, uh, who lost his best friend. And his body shut down. Um, started getting real sick. And we took him because he had a, an emergency <laughs> surgery. Uh, he was he slipped something in his spine and his back and his aching and the kidney stones and it was just like this hot mess of just physical and he couldn't explain it and it was he had a broken heart and he stopped taking care of himself and he didn't know what to do with his kid he was alone he went in for a surgery i don't remember what for because it was like one in a handful like half a dozen and uh they snipped something they shouldn't have, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. I was 13. So we had some choices to make. Um, I did not realize it at the time, but my father had chased away all of my all of my mom's relatives because it hurt too much to see them. And so we were genuinely alone. We left the church that we were in because he couldn't do ministry without his partner. He couldn't do it without her by his side. It was who he was. It was part of his identity. And she was a massive part of his ministry. I don't know if you know this, but pastor's wives, my wife was a pastor's wife. There's almost more on them than there is on the dude. Right? There's almost more on them. The heads of ministries, heads of, heads of uh, uh, nonprofits and stuff, there's almost more on the wife. Because they feel it more. It's weird. It's also probably one of the most important. They feel it. More on the kids. They feel it. So we were in between houses. He was in between jobs. We had to file for bankruptcy three times. Uh, I learned how to do that when I was uh, 13 and a half. Um, and that's when I dropped out of school and started working because somebody had to support our family. So from 13 to 17, uh, I had three jobs. Not complaining. Uh, upstate New York, so I was able to find those three jobs. And guess what? The community understood. Even though we didn't have family around us, the community got it. So a good thing about upstate New York is if you're willing to sweat and bleed, you can farm. <clears throat> so I knew a farmer. And he let me come to work in the morning. 3 a.m., show up. Yes, sir. Now I'm 13. My dad's paralyzed. So I stole our car. Didn't steal it. It was our car, right? But uh, all the cops knew my situation. And I was 13, terrified anyway. So I wasn't like, 
Dukes of Hazard through the guy, just like 20 miles an hour, eyes like this, just driving to work. Got myself to drive. Farm, I would work from about three to nine. Then the guy who owned a construction company would come and pick me up at the farm, which is helpful, it means I didn't have to drive the construction car company. And from nine to five, I did construction, got paid under the table. He'd drive home, he'd drive me back to the farm, I'd jump in the car, I'd go home, I'd make dinner for my sister, I'd fix my dad's bed sores, which I had to learn how to do because we were in bankruptcy, so we didn't have money for a nurse, and he wasn't in the hospital. So I'd have to roll him over and make sure that I stuffed all of his, his open sores and wounds so they'd stay clean and uninfected. Uh, so I had a little bit of that training when I was 13, 14. And then, it's a really light, light way to start the morning, isn't it? I don't know if it, spoilers, I'm okay. Um, and then I go back to work at the pizza place, which I could walk to, which was right down the road. It's owned by this guy named Sal. His name was not Sal, but that's how you sell pizza. So I learned about marketing from Sal. <laughs> and I got to wash dishes from 6 to 11. And I did that six days a week for from the age of 13 to the age of 17. I met some interesting characters. I learned some interesting words. I learned a lot about women. Not much of it was accurate. In that moment, I was the kid who was, my identity was, I'm the one who, I'm the one who fixes. I'm the strong one. I'm the one who takes care of the family. I'm the worker. I'm the one who has the solution. I'm the one you turn to if there's a problem. My identity was in my ability to provide. But I was angry. We didn't do church, and I was very grateful that I didn't have to be around church people because they all had platitudes for me because I was originally the weird kid who smelled things and saw numbers, and then I was the weird kid whose mom was dead, and now I was the weird kid whose father was paralyzed, and now I was the, oh, poor baby, you have to work. Aren't you a good boy? I hated that. Cows got me. Sheep, not so much. I got more to my story. I mean, clearly, if you start talking about the uh, US military actually sent me to my first year of Bible college because I signed up to be in the military, but I lied about how old I was because I was 17 and I didn't realize that if you give them their social security number, that's kind of a leak. <laughs> no one told me that. All I knew is my grandpa was army. I was gonna be army. So the US military ended up sending me to a year of Bible college because it would look good based on my psyche valve. My psych eval, when I came back from Bible college, showed a little bit of a change, and they were concerned. <laughs> so they made a call because this guy who was my recruiter was really good friends with the uh, captain of the, I forget the, the precinct number exactly, but he was a really good friend of this guy at the precinct in, in New York City. So I talked to the precinct in New York City. They shared my documentation with each other. We think this guy would be really good for this position. And the captain said, do you speak Spanish? And I was just like, okay. Which is... I think no, still. And God shut off that sort of portion of my brain I've never studied for anything in my life. I studied harder than I ever have to learn Spanish, and I would know whole paragraphs of sent of like 
conversational Spanish. And then I'd wake up and be like, I got nothing. I can't remember any of it. Never been sicker because my brain failed me. Because then I was at least the intelligent kid, right? So then the NYPD actually sent me to my second year of Bible college. So I got some stories, right? I'll come back and maybe share those with you at one point. But I, I want to share this with you because if I just get up here and talk about myself, then you guys have heard something interesting, but you haven't heard something eternal. The thing that shifted for me was I, I realized when I got a little bit older and still angry, and I'm still angry, that my identity wasn't the weird kid, the smart kid, the kid who provides. It wasn't, and it couldn't be the man who had all those answers figured out. And I, I think I said in my intro, like, my life is a story in translation. I'm still in translation. Like, I'm still figuring this out, and I need to remind myself of this. But I realized pretty quickly, <clears throat> my identity is, it has to be in Christ. And when I say that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this rapid fire. So you're gonna, you guys good to just stick with me for this? Because I want you to talk. Yeah. Let's get Ephesians 1 in Christ. Do you know that that phrase is used over 200 times in the New Testament? In Christ? Do you know how many times Christian is used? Three and twice it's mocking you. It's not about you. It's saying what other people are saying about you. It's, it's actually a, kind of like a dirty word in the New Testament. <clears throat> your, identif your identification is more in Christ than it is Christian. So Ephesians 1, let me wrap, rapid fire this for you because this is where I've learned to get my identity. Ephesians 1, 1 to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Question, have you ever struggled with spiritual faithfulness? Have you ever backslid? Anybody walked away from God? In Christ you can be faithful. Not because you are faithful, but because Christ was faithful. He never rebelled, he never sinned, he never strayed, he never repented. And it's the faithfulness of Christ to us that allows us to live out the faithfulness of Christ. You don't have to be the one who's got it all together. In Christ, you find your faithfulness. Not in your strength, not in your white knuckling, not in your goodness in your soul, which isn't there, bro. But in Christ. Ephesians 1, 1. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Do you know that in Christ you're actually blessed? I didn't feel blessed. I felt cursed. Have you ever felt like your life is not what it should be? Have you ever felt like you are working and not being paid for it? Have you ever feel a little bit smarter than the people that are around you or work harder than the people around you and, and you just can't get ahead? You just can't, can't catch up? You know, in Christ, you actually find your blessing. In Christ, you find your worth. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's physical. All of the time, it's spiritual. I lose this perspective because I've been blessed with the righteousness of Christ. I've been bl <coughs> blessed with the love of Christ. I've been blessed with the forgiveness of Christ, blessed with the guaranteed resurrection from the dead and an eternal life in Christ. I deserve hell. Everything else I get is a blessing. You know that in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3, I am blessed. Ephesians 1, 4, he, that is God, chose us, which, by the way, is language of adoption. Some of you were stuck. I was chosen. You know that you were adopted. You belong to the family of God. It doesn't matter what your heritage, right? It's the point of the Old Testament. He chose you. That's the language of adoption, election. It's just right throughout the New Testament. 
he that is God chose us in him that is Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before God has anyone ever chosen you people are pick teams picking teams for dodgeball and it's down to you and the plant in Christ you're chosen and this is where salvation is of grace and this is where it's not in a, in a you figured it out because you're intelligent or it's not that identity it's it's genuinely he picked you you're the wanky kid the weird kid the one who smells things and sees numbers and doesn't fit in and wears khakis to school and, and his mom is dead and you don't fit in and you don't go through normal adolescence you got a filthy mouth because that's how you learn to survive in christ you're chosen and what's mind-blowing is in this it says that you're blameless have you ever committed a sin that just feels like it's become your entire identity? Like you are the worst day of your whole life? And that what you've done, then that, that's who you are? You know, the Bible says that's not true. Who you are is who you are in Christ. What you've done is a sin, and it might explain you, but it doesn't define you. In Christ you're chosen and blamished. Ephesians 1, 7, in him you have redemption through his blood. And the forgiveness of our trespasses in Christ <coughs> forgiven. I'll give you another one. Uh, see if you guys know this one. There is now no, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm telling you, there's a reason that it goes comes up over and over again because we're supposed to find our identity there and we don't. <coughs> you're forgiven for your past. You're forgiven for your, in your present. You're forgiven for things that you have not yet done. You're forgiven for things that you will do and fail to do tomorrow. You're forgiven, not a little bit, but totally. God doesn't actually keep a record against you. It's erased in Christ. You are in Christ. What salvation is based on, by the way, which is why my theology of, of understanding how salvation works actually is a lot more about being in someone bigger, more gracious, more loving, and more in control than me. So it's open up a little bit. Ephesians 1 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Uh, identity crisis issue 40, right? Should be going through my midlife crisis. Gave 20, my, 20 years of my life to ministry, and ministry said, no, no more. Don't want you. So I should be midlife crisis. And he used to say, I'm not. Maybe I'm just acting really good today. Because we all have those days, right? But you ever wake up and you're just like, I don't know what to do. What's God's plan for my life? What, what am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I supposed to be? <laughs> Ephesians 1.9, apparently, uh, it's the mystery of his will is made known to us in Christ. Did you know that? I don't know if you're having a midlife crisis. Can I solve it for you? Ephesians 1.9. It just said that in Christ we find the meaning and purpose of life. What Jesus, let me ask, what did Jesus live for? What did he die for? Okay, do that. We're in him. What do you think that means for your purpose? We all have the same purpose. Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite things in him, that's in Christ, things in heaven that are on earth. Anybody feel lonely, separated, uh, that people are far away, God is far away, sin separating you from God and from people? In Christ, you're reconciled. Ephesians 1, 10. Ephesians 1, 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. You know why? Because you're adopted. 
I was the adopted kid. I was called into a brotherhood of adopted kids. Special because you're chosen. It's physical inheritance, spiritual inheritance. You're reconciled to God. It's emotional. It's financial. It's not necessarily all going to come to fruition now. Ephesians 1.12. Stupid Baptist heritage. 748. Sorry, guys. Keep going. <laughs> that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Did you know that in Christ you find your hope, not in anything else? And if you look in something else, it is empty, it is shallow, and it will fail you, and it will hurt. In Christ you find your hope. Your hope is not in government. I, I got to be real careful with this one, bro. You know what my notice? I sit right there. Pretty quiet. That's because sometimes I'd like to yell at some of you. Because <laughs> while we should be active and concerned, some of us care and, and have way too much hope in the financial futures of the world or in the political, uh, uh, in, in this idea that somehow if politics fix themselves, we're going to be a Christian nation again. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. We sing that, but but if you step back and believe that, you can't hope you our hope can't be in politicians. That's gotta be good news. Amen. That has to be good news for us. Which means yes, be passionate, yes, care, yes, be informed. Yet I'm not saying don't do that, but beyond that, when we are shocked that whoever fill in the blank is broken and stupid. What? In him, in him, in Christ, you have hope. And to that you have praise because it's his glory and it's his power. That's Ephesians 112, 113. Last one, last one. Maybe. No, it's the last one. In him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You know the way that your identity in Christ, you know, you know the the way you know your identity in Christ is the presence, person, and power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just help you with this for a minute. The Holy Spirit writes the scriptures, illuminates our understanding, awakens our awareness. This is all, by the way, the doctrine of pneumatology. If you all like to argue about doctrine, I wrote like a thesis about that thick for my doctoral, or for my, uh, I don't know, what is that thing where they call you something you don't deserve? Ordination. Uh, ordination, right? So I, I know theology. Happy to argue with you. Probably won't. Wasted my time. All right. Right. I really like really like Jesus. Don't really like arguing about him that much anymore these days. But this is all in scripture, pneumatology. Holy Spirit wrote the scripture, illuminates our understanding, awakens our awareness, changes our desires, refashions our identity. It is the Holy Spirit, which is the means by which the power and the presence of Christ come into those who are in Christ. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered the life of Jesus. Okay? Because up until the time that the Holy Spirit descended upon him at his baptism, there was nothing. It's why we don't have that written there. I'm sure he had a fantastic time being obedient because he had to fulfill the promises that were said of him previously in the Old Testament. But when the Spirit falls upon him, the Holy Spirit fills him through the course of his life, and it is the Holy Spirit that causes him to rejoice, we're told in Matthew. It is the Holy Spirit that leads him and empowers him through his trial and temptation, we're told in John. It is, it is the Holy Spirit who empowers him in his suffering and in his sadness, Mark. It is the Holy Spirit who raises Christ from the dead, by the way, the Bible says. 
The Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. He's not impersonal. He's personal. He's not far away. He is near. He's not against you. He is for you. He's not wanting you to perform. He's wanting to perform new life in you. And when you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. It's not even something that you can choose. It chooses you. It's not even something you can escape because he's everywhere present. We just got to stop fighting. When I was a good Baptist, went over, not over eight. Let me just pray quick and then take a few minutes. I'm not going to, do, do we have to get back up at the end? <laughs> I'm looking at John. John's not going to answer. Where's Ed? Do I have to get back up at the end? Do you want to? I just rather the guys talk to each other. Let's do it. Okay. So just talk to each other. Go as you have to. Yeah. <clears throat> All of us are, are struggling with identity issue today. And maybe, man, if you're blessed and you're just like, I know who I am in Christ, baby. <clears throat> you're probably one of like two who, who is really just resting in that perfectly. I am wrestling with that. Because I know who I was. I'm not that anymore. Every day I have to figure out who I am in Christ. I have to remind myself of this. So I get up here and yell so it looks like I have it all together. This is really me just doing the mirror thing that I do every day. It takes me really long to get ready in the morning. So talk about that with each other. What does it look like to be in Christ? What, what can you take from this today that would actually like help you walk today? How can you encourage guys sitting next to you? Because they're probably walking in themselves or in some version of themselves, whether that's the husband who can't provide. Yep. It's funny, not, not too many people wanted to hire a pastor of 20 years in the regular world. Apparently I'm a flight risk. <laughs> so I can do ministry for the rest of my life, but guy who can't provide, that's why I have like four jobs. Not, not joking. I will leave here and then go to my other jobs, just like I was when I was 13. I thought I'd grow past that. Guy who can't provide, right? Maybe my identity's in that. Guy who doesn't have it all together, doesn't have all the answers. Guy who's not really spiritual enough or failed spiritually. We all have an identity. I don't know what yours is. Quick prayer. Father, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that uh, it's you're here for these guys. And I'm sorry I talked so much. I just pray that you'd be able to take these words and minister to their spirit. What I'm thankful for is the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers the word of God. So go get them. I love them. Give it to them. Encourage them. Thank you for them. Lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.